Welcome to the Innovation and in Government Show, sponsored by Kerasoft. Each month, we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now, here's your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Bill Rowan, the Vice President of Public Sector at Splunk. Bill, welcome back to the program. Great to have you. Jason, thank you for having me. Let me set just a little bit of context for our conversation today. The federal government's effort to digitally transform is a constant work in progress. Whether it's the ever-changing cyber threat or new technologies from cloud to artificial intelligence to advanced data analytics, agencies are facing a never-ending set of opportunities and, of course, challenges. The problem agencies and really all organizations face is budgets are tight, priorities need to be clear in order to make real progress in how they serve their citizens. But, you know, Bill, it's not only about technologies and money, it's also about culture change. The IT and Innovation Foundation said this digital transformation also must include federal leaders promoting a culture of change to combat the, quote unquote, that's how it's always been done mindset. ITIF says this means cultivating talent, team dynamics, work environments that actively foster collaboration, communication, curiosity, and of course, flexibility. So, Bill, how do we do all that? And that's what you're going to tell us today. So let's start by uh, the, the basics. We know a lot of change has been going on over the last few years. What are you seeing in the federal sector? What kind of requests are you getting? What kind of questions? What's the, give me, give me a, the state of the union for federal sector and technology. Well, I think, Jason, what we've seen, and you, know, you talked about the digital transformation aspect, and that transformation continues. What I think that has primarily happened is, Customers have now expanded the way they use technology. Before, we had a little dabbling in the cloud. We had some on-prem presence. We had customers, some working remotely from time to time. What happened during the pandemic, though, was really an acceleration of digital transformation. Very few, if any, federal government customers don't have a multi-cloud strategy. They all do. And that multi-cloud strategy probably includes some aspect of an on-prem presence still. They're dealing with SaaS applications now, whether it's Salesforce, ServiceNow, take your pick. They, they're all using SaaS-based applications. And on top of that, they have a workforce that is more disparate now than ever before, whether it's you know, working from home one or two days a week or on the road now more often. So I, what I think that, that all translates into from a security perspective is the threat vector has now gotten much bigger than it was before. And so how do we continue to evolve keep up with that changing vector? How do we ensure that now we're using different platforms in ways that we never really intended maybe five, seven years ago, but that, that work has led to great innovation? And how do we not stifle that innovation? How do we continue to build on that innovation while at the same time ensuring we're safeguarding all the assets of an agency, whether that be a federal or a state and local for that matter? There's a lot to talk about cybersecurity, and we're going to get there. But before I go there, I thought it was really interesting that you bring up this idea that previously, maybe pre-pandemic, there was this kind of dabbling in cloud, even though it feels like you and I have been talking about cloud for, for 10 or 12 years now. And now everybody has a multi-cloud strategy. In some ways, that's leading to that innovation. Is that Absolutely. part of what you're seeing? Without a doubt. I mean, I think that one of the things that we saw, a very positive step, I would say, is that Agencies and organizations didn't have a chance to say, we're going to test this out for six to nine months to see if it works. We had to go ahead and do it. And guess what? It performed exactly as advertised. And that led to organizations saying, well, if that works, let's see what else we can do. But the point was that we had to deliver services both to constituents, to other organizations, and at the state level back to the actual residents of those communities. So this work was very, very important, and we got to figure out how to build on it and not go back to the way things were before. Part of that idea of 
Well, let's you know the the government is known for this pilot. Let's do a pilot, <laughs> Bill. Bill, can we pilot that for a little while? Sure. And then it's it's you, we talk about paralysis by analysis, but now it's it's paralysis by pilot in many ways. And they didn't have that opportunity. It was almost like when we've been talking about for years that the the magic bullet, right? That silver bullet that we were waiting for. What types of innovations are you starting to see, whether it's data-related or cyber-related or whatever, what, 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 from a federal sector perspective, what are some of the things that agencies are going, hey, that thing worked, let's expand it or do more of it over in this area? Well, I think that that's, the, that's one of the keys, is that they, we understand that when analyzing the landscape, ensuring that the safety and security that before we used to watch just one or two things, firewalls, you know, load balancing, whatever, looking for anomalies in, in, in what was going on. Today, because of that transformation, because of all these different systems, we now have to gather even more data. And the time to analyze that data has gotten even more compressed. We need close to real time. And the, the other part of it is, as innovation continues, how do we take in that new innovation? How do we take in that data and now start to compare and contrast it to the rest of the environment? Those type of activities and that type of predictive of what could we expect to see is what's leading us to have a much better perspective on where the threat actors are, or for that matter, where we are just making mistakes in the way we operationalize these environments. Again, a lot of this if we think about it, we, you, your point is we've been talking about cloud for a while. Now that agencies are using them and using them in different ways, different systems, there's bound to be mistakes on our side. That's human nature. We're going we're gonna to create self-inflicted wounds. The question becomes how quickly can we recognize those? How quickly can we heal those, those potential threats or those potential uh, errors that we've made and make sure that we're continuing the mission of the agency? Let's go down that cybersecurity path a little bit because it's come up uh, several times. On one hand, when agencies were more on-prem and kind of dabbling in cloud, they were dealing with a much different cyber threat. Now, being multi-cloud, using software-as-a-service applications, mm -hmm. there's uh, the good and the bad, right? There's, there's a bigger threat surface, but because they're leaning on folks like Splunk and others to take advantage of your cyber tools, right? Because the last thing Splunk wants is to say, hey, Agency X, we have a problem. <laughs> so you guys and, and, and others have much stronger cybersecurity tools, so they're getting those benefits too. Is that, is, that, is that message getting through that, hey, you have actually better cybersecurity even though your threat service has expanded in some ways? Well, I think that we have to recognize much like the cloud environment, there are a lot of partners that are in play here beyond Splunk. I mean, we, we, we understand that in most agencies and organizations, it's going to be, Splunk's going to be a part of the strategy. They're going to have other tools they're using, other platforms. And what we're trying to do on a regular basis is to ensure that we look at the processes that are going on and how do we free up as much of the time and energy that we can of the operators. So what can we do in terms of automation as an example? What, what sort of tasks on a regular basis are the security folks going through that we can automate some of those tasks to free up time to go look at other potential situations? And I know that's no different than a lot of the other uh, people that we work with in the industry. Again, we look at this as an ecosystem. There are very few agencies out there that will have but one security provider. They're using, a, as you alluded, SaaS-based applications, cloud-based applications on-prem, we need to understand how we correlate data across all those various platforms and give predictive analytics about what we should be doing next. The automation piece I hear 
time and again that comes up. Every, every cybersecurity discussion <laughs> that we have, whether it's with federal sector or, or uh, the folks in industry, where do you see agencies with automation? Is it, is it still very early stages of it where maybe cloud was a while ago and, and what will it take to get? It, it, it's, it's a great point. Yeah. You know, one of, the, one of the, the things that I looked at um, when deciding to join Splunk was to look across the various solutions that were out there in the security world and who had a much who had the broadest platform. And automation, as I've seen from some of my other previous areas, was a shining star that I saw the need for agencies. Now, unfortunately, in the security world, taking our hands off the keyboard for a second and letting systems do what they should do, that's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a learned situation of, do I feel comfortable with this? And I think that what we see is still the early stages of using automation. We think it will continue to increase because the risk continue to increase. And there's, we've got to be able to get through all the various alerts and issues that are coming across the operator's desk. And, and automation is a great way to do that and, and help automate some of the tasks that are just a part of the course of normal operations. This is going to free up time to be able to look at what are the real issues we've got to go after. What they seem to need is that forcing function, like the pandemic forced agencies into innovation around how they deliver services. Again, hybrid cloud, multi-cloud approach. Now they need some sort of cyber forcing function, but usually that's probably going to be a bad thing if they have that. You would have thought, well, OPM breach, that was enough. Or the breaches that were suffered kind of post-OPM in the industry, that was enough that would get that push. But I think you're right. People still have to develop a trust in the process. And, and sometimes they're going to pilot themselves to death. Well, they, they will. But, you know, one of the interesting things that we've seen and we see it time and time again is agencies, when they look at this particular opportunity or they look at the problem they're trying to solve, one of the things they typically underestimate is the amount of data that is actually coming from these systems. And they think, well, we can handle that. This is kind of what we've done. And what they find is when they really start to collect from all these various organizations, it may be two, three X what they thought. And all of a sudden there becomes the realization, we cannot manage this in the same way we have typically managed this in the past. And that's where automation then comes in. And it sees, yeah, we'll certainly see some of those pilots again. And hey, let's go test this to make sure we're catching everything. But I think it's those agencies that are realizing we cannot hire enough people. We're not gonna be able to keep up with this problem unless we allow these tools and these platforms to do what they were intended to do. And automation is a key aspect of that. Yeah, the, the data pieces we know, especially around cybersecurity, and especially as you expand that digital transformation piece, go back to the beginning of our conversation, when you, oh, we're going to use this service over here, okay, that's going to give us data. We're going to use that service over there, and that's going to give us data. All of a sudden, again, threat service expands, more data, how do you manage it? And, and what I hear from a lot of the CISOs is they're looking for the bump. Right, that little bit of a bump, and, and really only through AI tools, machine learning tools, through advanced data analytics, will they see those bumps. Otherwise, everything looks normal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you, when, from an artificial intelligence machine learning piece, that's that next generation, or is that already here today, or is it available for agencies to really start taking advantage it, of? It, it's available today, and I, the analogy I use a lot of times with, with customers is, take a standard EKG. You know, if, if a lay person looks at an EKG, may say, oh, it looks pretty normal to me. But to a cardiologist, they may pick up the very slight raise in one particular wave and say, ah, there's something there. We need to go do further tests to figure it out. And I think what we can do is tune a lot of these platforms to ensure we're catching that little blip, highlighting it to the operator and saying, 
Should we compare that against other type of events we've seen in the past to help show them where to go look next? And I think that's really the key to this, is we are probably not going to be able to solve everything out of the gate day one, but we can tell you where to look further to ensure you're getting the best holistic picture of what's going on in your enterprise. And that's really what, what you're coming down to. I mean, that's why automation matters so much because it frees up that operator not to worry about the blips, but to say, okay, that's a blip. Let me go figure that out. I mean, that that's the goal, whether we talk about cybersecurity or digital transformation, get out of the mundane, get out of the usual. Do I have to fill this form the, out? The, these are, these are, these experts are first off, they're hard to source in the community, whether you're in private sector or in government, they are expensive resources. And so, how do you allow them to do the job they were really hired to do and not have them potentially chasing red herrings on a regular basis? You've got to be able to compress that data so they're focusing on the right things and not just a voluminous amount of data. And I imagine the red herrings are not getting fewer. They're getting oh, increasing they're, because of just how much the threat surface and the like. Not only the threat surface, but you have to appreciate, too, that at different times, your, your user community maybe doing things that they didn't mean to do necessarily, and they're creating some of the red herrings for the organization themselves. It's always the user's fault, though. Well, sometimes it is, just a little just bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> On that note, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. Splunk's Gov Summit is returning in person at the Ronald Reagan Building in Washington, D.C. on December 14th. Join leaders in both government and industry to explore how to build the cyber resilience you need to make your mission possible. Register today for this free event and discover how Splunk can enhance security, drive resilience, and unlock innovation. Visit splunk.com govsummit. That's splunk.com govsummit. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Bill Rowan, the Vice President of Public Sector at Splunk. Bill, before break, we're talking a lot about cybersecurity. We're talking about automation, this need for there's so much more data. One of the things that Splunk, uh, I think, did to address this ever-growing threat is join the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS put this together. I want to talk a little bit about that collaboration and how, and, and other efforts, of course, about how that's leading to agencies and industry, really, to a more proactive defense stance. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I got to give the, the government a lot of credit in this respect, is that understanding that the, the challenge that is out there in front of us is not one agency to decide, not one agency to try to fix. It really is a collaboration between industries and the agencies, and, and that extends actually well beyond just simply CISA, obviously. But, you know, what, what Splunk has tried to do on a regular basis is not just continue to keep the agencies informed of here's where the roadmap is and here's the implications back to organizations, but it's also to try to look and change the paradigm a little bit. And so one of the things, for example, that has been ongoing is the work that's being done by some of the universities to understand what are the threats and how do they create coursework in collaboration with Homeland Security. Most recently, we were speaking in a forum at the University of Nebraska where they are training the next, le the next version or the next generation of cyber operators. And how do a younger person coming out of school, how do they look at this problem a little differently maybe than somebody who has been through the transformation we've been discussing, who's been through that but had been involved in it for 20 years? 
So there's a really interesting uh, combination of just not just industry, not just agencies, but also the university system. And how do we continue to work in a loop that we continue to strive to improve our processes and share information, not just with one company, but in the case that we're talking about with DHS, it's a collaboration of multiple corporations looking at this challenge. The JCDC is not a new idea in the sense of there's been this push for years from DHS, even before CISA was CISA, when it was MPPD, to create this information sharing, but it's always been tough. Do you get a sense of why now it's it's a less tough, or, or, or is it what's the recognition that changed? I, I think that you know, unfortunately, these things take time to evolve, and I think that whether you look at the past administration or the current administration, there is certainly a lot more openness and a lot more willingness to not only say here are the problems we're struggling with and what can industry do, but I also give credit that you see people from DHS and you see people from other agencies attending more different types of cyber or security forums around the country that aren't your typical federal-focused type initiatives. The Aspen Institute is this upcoming week up in New York. And so you find them attending these type of forums to understand from a broader perspective, how do we go attack this particular problem? So I, I give credit. It's, a, it's an evolution and I think that we're there learning more about how do they do this in a better and a broader scale than maybe initially anticipated. And so much of it is, is goes back to the trust factor. I think the pandemic and, and the innovation that came from it created better trust. Hey, I have to fix this digital issue, this service I'm giving. Okay, Splunk, do it for me. Oh, look, that worked. Now we're creating that bond that little bit of a win created a bond. Now, okay, now let's let's expand that bond, whether it's with you all or whomever in industry. And that's also helping to create it. And then, of course, the the cyber challenge is is worse than ever before. I mean, you're you're absolutely right. And I think that the other part too that we see coming about from industry in general is when we find one of those particular areas that can be solved. I, I don't believe, at least at Splunk, and I from what I see from my counterparts across the industry. We're not just trying to hoard that ourselves and saying, how can we make money on this? How can we go and, and, and share this, this, this particular tool or this particular part of a platform to a client? We're openly talking to the community about what can we do to improve these processes. One of the things, for example, at Splunk is we have a, an app store of close to 2,800 applications. Most of them ver- are free that were developed not just by us, but also by customers who have found ways to automate and ways to do things that can add value. And we want to share that as much as broad as we can and make it free for our customers to use. And part of that, I want to go back around to, you talked about the work you are doing and seeing with the research institutions, colleges, universities. That's that's coming from that community as well, because that's always been much more open, much more sharing. And I think as you see, okay, we have to change the way we train, we educate the cyber workforce today and of the future, they're in. They're used to that experience too. I think that that's that plays into it. Absolutely. And and by the way, sometimes the things that universities are worried about when we, we think about PII data, et cetera, is that they're also used to looking at a multitude of different work. Whether it's research work, they may be trying to you know they've got some grant from the government, they're trying to secure that. They've got student data. They've got systems. Again, they're most universities again are the foundation of these multi-cloud environments. They're gonna have some aspect of on-prem. They've got students working remotely, students on campus. 
Interestingly, if you look at it, the situation is very, very similar to that which government is trying to deal with at the same time. So there's a great training field there. And then if you add the fact that they bring in a lot of international folks, government Absolutely. does too. I was just was on a panel recently with the National Science Foundation, and they were talking about something in effect of one in eight or one in ten of their employees are kind of fellows from other areas, yeah, other, other, other parts of the country. Yep. yep. Uh, one of the things you mentioned when we talk about cybersecurity and the JCDC and automation is the the integration that's happening in the industrial control systems area. And I just want to go down that path briefly because I know it's, it's an area that, that's getting a lot more attention, the OTIT discussion, right, mm -hmm. operational technology. What are you starting to see? Are you starting to get more requests from your federal partners, from your federal customers to help us with this OT challenge as it relates to the IT challenge of cyber? So the, the industrial systems are... It's not a new thing. I mean, we go back and look at, you know, what happened at Home Depot or what happened at Target and the way some of these systems were penetrated. The question becomes now, how are we correlating what's going on in those environments? Whether I'm looking at Department of Energy locations, whether I'm looking at military locations, whether I'm looking at just individual uh, campuses downtown of, of individual agencies. And so the question becomes, how do we help correlate? Most of those industrial systems have typically had... Uh, tools to be able to monitor what was going on. But the question becomes, were they being correlated and compared to what was happening on the IT security side? In most cases, they were not. And so now the question becomes, how are we using that data as a part of just any other data stream and making sure that those, as we talked about earlier, those little blips in there are more than just the heat went up a little bit. You know, why did that happen? What was the event that, and can we correlate that to potential other events that are happening on our traditional IT side. There's a lot of industrial control systems that people don't think about in the government. You talked about energy and DOD, easy ones. GSA is an example, a lot of federal buildings. Are you starting to get requests from places like that, that or, or interest or RFIs or whatever you're seeing for, the, for that correlation to happen in areas that you're like, oh, I didn't even think about. Um, I can think of the National Park Service as an example with all their uh, uh, national park buildings that have industrial control systems. Well, Are you starting to see some of those? It's 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 those. It's extending to, you know, regional municipal airports. We've got a tremendous amount of industrial control systems in in airports that people don't necessarily see, but are absolutely paramount to the operation of the airport. That we're seeing it as it extends back into you know organizations that are responsible for managing water, water safety. You know, all those systems are potential threat vectors, and as much as they are, not just necessarily the threat, but are we applying good cyber hygiene to those areas as a part of our normal operation? And I think that's the part that the transformation that we've gone through is allowing us to say, well, I can manage that system no different than I manage that server inside a data center here or at one of my cloud service providers. And now if I can normalize that data and start to look at it holistically, it's going to make the job that much simpler. Again, we talk about automation. How do we add automation to those processes to be able to streamline those responses? Bill, we've talked a lot about cybersecurity. Um, I'm going to ask you to look forward a little bit. We're just about to enter that season of predictions. Everyone loves their <laughs> predictions. It's 2023 almost. What are some of those trends or what are some of the things you, you are kind of looking forward to in 2023 beyond we know the ever-increasing cyber threat? What are some of those other areas of digital transformation? Well, I think that the, the, there's no question agencies have benefited greatly from the transformation that has gone on. And I think this, the single biggest challenge an agency is going to face is how much further can I push it? How much further are my employees ready to take that next step? And some of that is going to, we already see that 
aspect and some aspects of, of remote work, obviously. But the question that I think is most interesting is, as we start to see modern applications now come up online, where we can start to put some of these security parameters in the applications as microservices as they're built, how does that redefine the way we actually manage some of these environments? Can we build some of the automation, some of the observability of what's going on in the environment? Can we actually build those into services that are part of modern applications? That has the ability to help redefine the way we actually operationalize security across the board. And I think that to me is gonna be one of the great challenges. And there certainly are agencies that are ready to, to take that next step because they see the benefit. And quite candidly, as we mentioned earlier, Doing it the way we did things three to four years ago, we just can't, we're never gonna hire enough people. We're never gonna be able to keep up with it, the data growth. So we've gotta help redefine the way we attack this problem. Folks may be listening and going, oh, he's just describing <coughs> sec DevOps or DevSecOps, depending on which way you wanna talk about it. But it sounds like you're, you're not just talking about development, it's the, it's the continuous monitoring piece. It's, it's the continuous monitoring because when we start to get to that particular point in inflection, that that is going to have a ripple effect into the other ways we've looked at managed these environments. And if we don't change those things, all we've done is create another bottleneck. Right. And no one wants to go back to that particular area and say, this is great, we did, we did all these new services, but we really can't take advantage of them because it puts a strain on our security profile. That's just not going to operationalize work in the long term. The other theme I keep hearing, I think, federal executives talk to, and I'm sure Splunk sees this too, is the workforce. And, and you got to have a workforce conversation these days, like you got to always have a cyber conversation. You talked about automation as helping to solve that shortage of cyber workers. Are there other ways agencies can kind of solve some of those shortages? And we're not talking about doctors and nurses or, or folks, but, but are there tools that automation or, or whatever can help you with that can, hey, you don't have to do this repetitive thing anymore? I mean, robotics process automation, of course, but, but what are you starting to see in, so, that, in that world? You know, there's a, there's, it's really kind of two different, two different folded issue. There are a variety of platforms that are out there, tools that are out there that are open source and customers are building their own kind of operations based upon those. And that certainly is going to take skills and it's going to take people to be able to continue to maintain. The other part is to look at what various, how do we help retrain part of the workforce and keep that workforce, you know, operationally savvy. And one of those things is, you know, whether attending our conferences and getting hands on keyboards and learning, but we see a renewed interest from agencies and customers to say, not just around Splunk, but around other platforms. How do we learn more? How do we use some of the pieces that are standard to be able to make an impact? And at the same time, we're retraining the workforces that are there. There's so many pieces and parts of tools that I'm sure we all don't use enough of. I mean, you, you, Splunk probably says, well, if you use this, oh, how do you know that existed? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure we that see, happens all the time. We see it on a regular basis. And, and to be fair, you know, no different than most of our email accounts, we don't exactly. know how to do you know, our cell phones. We know how to do probably about 50 to 60% of what's capable in the tool. You learn it and that's all you ever use. No one's ever taken a class on how do you use email. Exactly. It's, so Maybe our grandparents. <laughs> Definitely my parents. <laughs> there you go. Bill, I've always enjoyed our conversation. Fortunately, we're out of time today. So uh, let me thank my guest. Bill Rowan is the Vice President of Public Sector at Splunk. Bill, thanks so much for taking the time. Jason, thank you for having me. I'm Jason Miller and you've been listening to the... 
I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search innovation. Thank you for listening to the Innovation in Government show, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com, keyword innovation.